How many loves the Lord today? Glory to God. Amen. You can be seated. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. How many ever wakes up in the morning and think it's Groundhog's Day all over again? When you get past 80, you think every day is Groundhog's Day all over again. I wake up and I thought, I just got through waking up. One, two, three, four. I'm going to turn me up just a little bit if I can get it. The same old aches and pains and just one day older. Amen. But one day closer to our body change. I, I thank God for that. I think we have a water baptism today. Is that right? Brandon? Okay. He finally come to the conclusion that he was saved before the foundation of the world. People say, well, I went to church Sunday got saved. No, you didn't. <laughs> you come to church and you heard that you was saved and you accepted it. That's what how easy salvation is. Salvation was paid for at Calvary 2,000 years ago. The sin question was settled then. And now the gospel comes to us and we accept it. If you accept it and believe it, then its benefits are to you. Amen. So we'd like to welcome everybody on live stream this morning. They are not televising back, so sometimes I forget, but I see them and I'm back there. I've got just a little bit of echo. I don't know where that's coming from. That's good. Amen. But we welcome them in the service, and we thank everyone for staying with us this last year in live streaming. The attendance has been real well, and people have received the services, and we have heard from them, and they enjoy them very much, so we appreciate that. But uh, this is Sunday morning, and we're still looking at the subject. I'm not a, I'm not a uh, holiday preacher. I forget it's even, I asked my wife this morning, is Christmas pretty soon? And she said, yes, yeah, this week. So maybe Christmas morning she'll say, hey, what have you got me for Christmas? And uh, I'll say, just about what you got me. Amen. So Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy New Year. Hope 21 2021 is better than 2020. Although 2020 was basically very good. Because all things work together for the good of those that are called. Amen. I want to look at the scripture this morning. we got several scriptures. But I want to bring this as easy as we can for the younger generation. Or those that do not spend a lot of time basically in what I call the study of the word or true doctrine. I put in your notes a couple of uh, points if we'll get to it. That everyone is confronted by God in this hour. And in that confrontation we must face everything that we're confronted with. The sisters have been confronted with a dress code. The brothers have been confronted with a doctrine code. If the doctrine is in the home, I believe the dress code will come. The women must be taught, but they must ask their husbands at home. If they don't, as a husband can't ask, but then you have to ask someone that knows the answer and basically seek it out until that answer is answered. So we're here this morning, we're going to look at a principle. I call it, we're looking at the subject justification, which that means uh, righteousness. If you're justified, you have been made righteous. The word justification and righteousness is the same word. It's used in different forms, to, but people get it kind of turned around that I can be justified. Basically, I'm a Baptist and uh, Pentecostal, I'm righteous. In other words, I'm holy and free from everything. The word means itself, same thing. If you're justified, you have been made righteous. And we're looking at the end time product of the presence or the appearing. Now, many times we call it the perusia, which that's only a Greek word, which means presence, the literal presence. The presence is the appearing. So don't get the words confused because people say, we don't believe in the perusia, which that means they don't believe in what they call the presence. But if you ask them, do you believe there's been an appearing of God in this hour? They'll say, oh, yeah, we believe that. 
which is speaking of the same thing. So therefore, they're confused in doctrine. And we must be grounded in doctrine because only doctrine will bring you to active faith correctly. All the active faith that you can produce, every sign, miracle, dress code, or anything that you can produce by works will not prove that you are justified. Works does not prove revelation because you got the false anointed that can do anything, uh, signs, miracles, and wonders, and God totally rejects it. So we're looking at justification as preached by the prophet in this hour where he declared that we never done it, that we're absolutely sinless before God. And he can make that statement because that's what the Apostle Paul preached. So I want to look at the subject this morning, justification of us being made righteous, but we want to look at it in the Alpha and Omega principle. In other words, look in the Alpha in the beginning, and Alpha is Omega. So the beginning and the end. If we can find a beginning, an alpha, you can tell what God's going to do in the omega. The seed in the book of Genesis, Genesis, genes is, will bring you to a harvest or a multiplication in Revelation. The problem people has with alpha and omega, seen in the Bible, is that when it starts in a seed, Today, we cannot recognize the seed that started in the book of Genesis. Most people look at an apple tree, and if you hand them a seed, they may not know that that's an apple seed. They can look at an apple tree and say, well, that's an apple. All right? The seed is exactly what produced the apple. So when you find a principle in Genesis, you'll find it repeats exactly in Revelation. So let's read some scripture first, and then we'll look at this subject of our righteousness now in the Omega. Today, we're interested in what God sees us today. In Isaiah 44, 6, I've got the scriptures. Are you got them in notes? I don't know where they'll put them. They got them on the board also. Notice carefully, thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel. Here is Almighty God declaring that He is Lord and He is King. And His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. So the whole Old Testament teaches the creed of one God. You can go over and over the scripture after scripture after scripture. There's no God beside me. I'm the first, last, no other God, no other God, no other God, no other God. So we find the foundation is there's one God. He is spirit. He is a person. This one person is not omnipresent like God's everywhere. He's everywhere because he's omnipotent and knows all things. But God cannot be omnipresent because He's one person. Amen? He is spirit and He is invisible. Here's the point of our clarity. You will never see God because He is invisible. You'll only see Him as He reveals Himself through man. All right. So the God of Israel is one person. Already we're confronted with the teaching today that there are three. One of the great elements that the prophet brought out is Trinitarianism. Three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Three persons in one God is completely foreign to the Scripture, and it is paganism. Revelation 1.11, it says here, what's saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Once again, we have an individual here declaring he is Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Revelation 1.17, it says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. We know this one to be Jesus that we recognize as Jesus the man. 
But if you'll notice, everything he says is referencing to the Father, the one true God. Now, here's where your confusion comes now. Notice in Revelation 22, 13. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. In other words, I am A to Z, I am all of it. All right. Here in Revelation 1.8, we want to look at three scriptures showing you the Alpha and Omega principle or the scripture. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Ecclesiastes 3.14 and 15. I know that, watch this very carefully, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. There's no changing it. Nothing can be put to it. You can't add to or take away, nor anything taken from it. You know that in Revelation, you take add to the book, add the plagues are added, if you take away your name's coming out of the book. Watch, and God doeth it that men should fear before him or should absolutely reverence him knowing what he is going to do. Because when you see God do something in an alpha principle, you can look for the Omega to repeat the same. Verse 15, that which has been is now. So the Garden of Eden is now. The days of Noah is now. The days of Lot is now. The faith of Abraham is now. The three angels that come to Abraham has repeated in this hour. See, what has been is now. And that which is to be hath already been. So there's no surprises. If God destroyed the world because of such and such, he's going to destroy the world for such and such. If God rejected mankind for what they done, he'll reject mankind for what they done today. God cannot change. And God requireth required that which is past. So we're looking at an alpha and omega principle, but we could or we want to look at it in light of today and this end time ministry. I could start, and I preached years ago, we started, we started in Genesis 1 and showed the Alpha and Omega back and forth, back and forth. All the way through Scripture, there's always an Alpha and Omega. There's a garden. God started in Genesis in the garden. He'll have a garden in New Jerusalem at the end. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Everything He started in Genesis will come to a multiplied harvest in Revelation at the end time. So where the harvest of the book of Genesis. There's the two books that Brother Bram said the prophet hated. All right. So, but we want to absolutely look first at the Alpha and Omega in light of Jesus, the anointed one, in his ministry, and then into the Ephesian church age, which is Paul's age, and bring it to this present time. Because what I'm declaring in last week's message also, that whatever Paul preached brought perfection to Ephesus. The church of Ephesus was perfect. They could have took a rapture if the body had been made up. Therefore, even in this darkest age of Laodicea, when everything is shut out, there has to be a group of people come right back to the Ephesian church stage and state again. So if we are part of the elected today, the bride of Christ, we are the Ephesian of today. We would be the Omega Church of the book of Ephesians. All right? So that's what we want to look at. Jesus in his ministry, then carrying the pillar of fire to uh, the Apostle Paul in the Ephesian church to bring the perfection and bring that all the way over today. There's a reason Brother Branham said in Ephesians 1.17 that the spirit of wisdom and revelation is now present to fulfill the book of Ephesians to an end time bride. Amen. So if we, uh, we want to look at that, and basically we follow the pillar of fire. We understand that the pillar of fire came to Jesus, and He dwelt Him. We'll look at that in a few minutes. After His death, burial, and resurrection, the pillar of fire baptized 120 in the upper room, separated itself. And then we find the pillar of fire visiting the apostle Paul and giving him a unique revelation to one man. 
And Paul said, as we noticed last week in Galatians, that if any other man preach any other gospel than what I preach, let him be accursed. That means any man or any angel. So therefore, the alpha is fixed. We cannot come today and say, well, we've got more light, which we do have more light than they had in any other age. But we're only coming to the true understanding and the revelation given to the Apostle Paul. Everybody said, well, we've got a prophet, prophet, we don't need the Bible, we don't need Paul, we need a prophet, prophet, and go on. I think you're missing the whole picture. See, the first messenger, the last messenger will be prophets. If a pillar of fire come to Paul and give him the revelation... That's Alpha. A pillar of fire will come to the last one and give him a revelation of the Alpha. So therefore, Alpha and Omega is the same revelation, the same visitation of God, the same confrontation of God. Coming to do the same thing, and that is to show you that you have been justified by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the sacrifice. So the first age gospel and the last age gospel will be exactly the same. So how many people, or many people, as I put in your notes, people will not believe this, and that is that Jesus himself denied that he had anything to do with the plan of God except a body. He did not have an opinion. He did not attribute to any of the works. And he didn't contribute to any of the teaching. In other words, I don't like to put it this way, but have you ever heard that Edgar Bergman? Have you ever seen anybody a ventriloquist? You know what I'm talking about? They got a little dummy here, and they're moving their lips back and forth. And basically, but the voice is coming from over here. Did I say that right? Ventriloquist? Is that what? Whatever it is. When you get 80, it's whatever you want to make it. But how many understands what I'm saying? Here someone is speaking, and you're seeing the lips move, but the voice is coming from here. That's exactly how Jesus the man was. All right, people don't want to face that because they want to make Jesus God. He was only a body in which God lived. God incarnated himself in this one body. Jesus will, being created, he could do it. No, other, no person can do this. Submitted his will to the place that he had no active work or motion in the act at all. Now, I cannot understand a human like that, and you can't either. And man can't either. That's the reason they can't ever figure out who was Jesus. It's over and over and over. Who was Jesus? Who was you? Every commentary book, who was Jesus? Most of them come down that he was God. He was only God manifested or revealed in human flesh. All right. So... If Jesus was only a body of flesh in whom God manifested himself to the people being an alpha, then the omega would have to be the same. In other words, we put so much emphasis on the prophet, which the prophet himself said he was only standing there when God had his picture taken. It's not me, he said. It was him. I was only standing there when he appeared. So people said, Brother Branham done. Brother Branham done. Brother Branham, the man, the person, did not do one act or one supernatural thing. Everybody's trying to prove Brother Branham's fault. Brother Branham, you're not looking at Brother Branham. You're looking at the one that used his body. So therefore, if you conclude that the one that done the miracles and said, thus saith the Lord, was evil, then you're pushing the body or that spirit as being Satan. I don't think Satan would go around the world preaching divine healing and healing millions of people in the presence of himself. He's the sickness and the sin that's trying to kill the people. So you've got a, a devil that's trying to uh, kill people, and that same devil's trying to heal people to confuse them. So whoever the spirit was that was using the body of William Bradham is what you've got to decide or take a choice of who was that. Because we're told in the voice or the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, then the mystery of God would be completed. The voice is the same voice 
that was in Jesus, the man, 2,000 years ago. We must understand that it is God who, who hath reconciled us to himself. People say, well, Jesus died and we were reconciled to God. God was in Christ reconciling us to himself. Because only God can basically reconcile or be reconciled or come to a place that his own justice is satisfied. And only God can forgive you of sins. You say, well, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus didn't forgive nothing. His body was paid as a price or a sacrifice for. And God was justified or pleased because he raised that body up that he used. Because it had to be a correct or a special body. He raised that body up and set it up on high as a memorial, a mediator and intercessor, that it was a perfect representation of himself in spirit form. So Jesus could say, when you see me, you have seen the Father. Because that's the closest you'll ever see of God. And when that spirit incarnates him in Jesus the man at the marriage supper, then we can truly say we see God manifesting in the flesh, but you'll never see spirit God, period. And that's hard to grasp, but that's hard. That's the way the Bible teaches it. Now, according to Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 and 17 that we have used in the last two or three lessons, you're going to find out that, and also Matthew 17, 5, we find that the Son, or Jesus the man, or the body, was the actual flesh that God resides in. Jesus the flesh man, who is a person. Don't forget this, so all oh, Brother Gregory is preaching two persons, two God. No, 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 no. Jesus is a person. He is a man. He is a Son of God in a measure just like you and I. Because he was not ashamed to call us brethren. So his source is our source. His father is our father. His God is our God. You don't have a God that has a God. And you can't be a son without a father. All sons have a beginning. Come on. You say, well, Brother Bram talked about the pre-existence of God. I'll get into it in a lesson because every one of you was pre-existent in the mind of God. The thoughts of God were pre-existent. That's the reason why you could sit here this morning ordained and predestinated before you was ever formed, before any star was ever put in heaven. You were already ordained and predestinated and said in this service this morning, you were ordained to go to the water and accept the gospel when you heard it because you were predestinated to hear it. You say, well, that means somebody is controlling me. You are controlled. Now, you have a soul and you have a, uh, that which has a choice. It can say, well, I want to accept this doctrine or I don't want to accept this doctrine. You say, well, that puts me in control. Well, if God's foreknowledge knew what you'd be presented with, how can he ordain that you arrive at a certain place if the will and everything else depends on you? If he can put you before the foundation of the world in the Lamb's Book of Life, you think that you can get out of the Lamb's Book of Life? Come on now. There's no way that you can get out of the predestinated will of Almighty God. Amen. Oh, you say, well, you're preaching predestination. Just wait, we'll get over to it. In Matthew 3, at the baptism of, of Jesus, see if I can remember. John the Baptist said he's seen a pillar of fire come down, or a light, come down, and he heard a voice from heaven say, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am pleased to dwell in. So that light come and took his residence in that man called Jesus of Nazareth. Did that make him God? It made him the tabernacle of God. Now he had another person living in a body. You say, oh, this is getting real weird. He had two persons living in one body. Can you swallow that? The disciples didn't know when 
Each one was speaking. They didn't know when it was God speaking or when it was Jesus the man speaking. Now, can you think now that the Holy Spirit is going to take preeminence in our lives? He's going to be so real in our minds and our soul that our thoughts cannot come out in words. Only His thoughts will come out of our mouth. Can you imagine being so endowed with the presence of God to where you're way back here out of the way and when you see me, you see the Father? That's exactly the predestinated plan of Almighty God to every individual son in their measure. All right, let's watch now. So we find that that was the baptism of Jesus, the man. We looked at him as a son. He was born the Son of God. In the crib, he was not born a giraffe and turned into a man. He was born a child. He was born with a predestinated destiny. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor of the Mighty God. All right, up until this time, his name, that's what his name shall be called. He has not been called those names as yet. He will be called those names in the millennium. So what are we doing? We're getting closer. For 2,000 years, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached, looking forward to its coming. That was the hope that was set before us. Now we're sitting at the very edge of the millennium, and we're not preaching the kingdom to come. We're preaching that God is now ushering us into the millennium, into the kingdom, because He's revealing to us who we are, what we are, and our destiny in the future. When we realize what we are and who we are, that we're on the very urge or the very edge of the millennium, then we can say His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor of the Mighty God. Hallelujah. In Matthew 17, we look when Jesus uh, was placed as a son. We went through that in adoption. He was born the Son of God. He grew up until He would become a man. He was baptized in water. God recognized him as a son by coming and dwelling in him, which is a type of us receiving the Spirit after our baptism. He was tested as a son. He went through the wilderness and was tested. Then at his maturity, when he come to maturity on Mount Transfiguration, he was placed as a son in authority. This is my beloved son in whom I'm pleased to dwell. Now you hear him. Hear him. Because now he was 50% of the Father's kingdom. He was the heir. He inherited by what he done, submitting and surrendering his will to God, allowing God to use his body. He received half of the Father's kingdom, making him equal with the Father. Are you following me now? Therefore he received a name, which was above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words, in Jesus the Son, this unique man, God placed his name and made Jesus the place of worship. So in other words, although the Son had nothing to do with the work or the action or whatever more, you can't get past the Son because he was the door are the revelation into the invisible God. His, he, his name and his body, what he done was the, basically the very entrance into the kingdom. Amen. So, so he was placed in authority on Matthew 17. So we find that the Son of God is actually the flesh that God resides in. Now, I'm going to put this on tape and around the world. We do not believe in two gods. But Brother Branham said, there are two persons. And go back in Genesis, he said, now, uh, let us make man in our own image. Brother Branham said, now you have two. He didn't say you had two gods. Now you got two persons. One is a father who is God, one Lord, Elohim. One is Lord, our Master, our Son, who has received the titles of Jehovah, the Father, 
making Jehovah manifested in the Son and flesh. He is the seven compound names of Jehovah, and everything in that name is appropriated to us. You can have anything that's in that name. He's our healer, our sanctifier. He is present. He is uh, provider, protector. Everything that's in the name come through the body of Jesus Christ. Now watch. Two persons in one body of flesh, and God is spirit. So there was a spirit in there besides Jesus the man. We say our bodies are the tabernacle of the temple of the Holy Ghost. If the Holy Ghost resided in us as what we're saying, the least thing that we could be would be a prophet. And if the Holy Ghost was dwelling in me, as I'm a temple of the Holy Ghost, then how many me and temples are they? Then how many gods would there be? You have a modulum or a sperma, a seed of God called life, called Zoe, called soul. That's that part of the Holy God, Holy Spirit that is dwelling in you, which is according to the measure of the Word of God that you have believed and received and are walking in the light thereof. So we have a very little bitty shadow of the Holy Ghost living in us, which is the Word. How many understands now what I'm saying? So we find Jesus basically absolutely denies himself as being God. You say, well, Brother Bra uh, Gregor, why come you just keep going over this over and over? Because Brother Branham told us the capstone revelation in this hour that will keep you from deception is the understanding of the Godhead. He plainly told you in the church age book that if you didn't understand the Godhead, you wouldn't understand any doctrine in the Bible correctly. So we've got to come back to the capstone or the headstone. The capstone and the headstone is the self-same person. You could take the cornerstone down here, which is Alpha, and you could put it on top as the Omega. Amen. Same stone here, same stone here. I am Alpha. I'm the cornerstone. I'm the Omega. I'm the headstone. So we're looking at the beginning and end. If you look at the picture statue of a perfect man, Brother Bam drawed it out in that sermon. We could put a drawing up if we had one. But he drawed a statue of a perfect man. He showed you seven messengers, whatever more and whatever more. Bringing us to the body of Christ or how God builds this body from one son to a many-membered body called Christ or the church, the body of Christ. He's remultiplying or reduplicating himself in a many-membered form. So Jesus is the Alpha. Mrs. Jesus Christ or the body, the church, is the Omega. Amen. All right. Notice in Mark 13, 29. Jesus answered them, the first of all the commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. <laughs> the Lord our God is one Lord. Well, Psalms 110.1 said, the Lord said unto my Lord. Uh-oh, Brother Greg is preaching two gods again. No. The Lord Elohim God is one Lord. There are many lords. Abraham was called Lord. Jesus is called Lord, which means master or teacher or a superior one. So the Lord, our God, is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. If you could do that, you'd be just like Jesus. <laughs> the second is like this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Boy, it gets quiet when you get on that one, don't it? And the scribe said unto him, Well, 
Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but He. And Jesus affirms the creed of Israel that the Lord is one. He denies in St. John, I believe it was 17, 5, that He is God, period. If Jesus said, I am not the Father, then why do we say that He is the Father? If He said He wasn't God, why do we say that He is God? If Brother Branham said he didn't do the works, why do we say that he did? How many is following now? See? So therefore, Alpha is Omega, and it is the manifestation then of God was by human flesh. The only way you'll see God manifested is through human flesh. And God, therefore, being entirely responsible for what was going on at that time, then it has to be the same today. Why people are walking away from the message, I cannot understand. I just cannot comprehend it. God is manifested in and through human flesh. And again, as the prophet of this hour said... You are looking at me, aren't you? Now that stumped them right there. There's where you, the deity people go trying to make Brother Branham God. Jesus wasn't God. William Branham wasn't God. Paul wasn't God, and you and I are not God. Amen. Let's read the quote here. Brother Branham answered this question in the seventh seal. What did Jesus mean when he said, when you see me, you see the Father? He said, just the same as the Holy Spirit in me, you're looking to me preaching, but it's not me. It's not me that can speak a word and could bring it and bring it and could bring, as you know, an animal, sit there and look at it, kill the animal and eat it. He's talking about the creation of the squirrels now. That's creative power that doesn't lay in human beings. It's not me. That could take a little boy here, laying the doctors laying him on his back with heart trouble tonight, and say, "Thus saith William Branham." No, it's "Thus saith the Lord." Amen. See, it's finished, and bring him down to the doctor, and the next day it's all gone. A kid with leukemia till his eyes were bulged out, yellow all over the stomach, until they're taking it to the hospital to give it blood and things to even get it there here, and in five minutes, cry for a hamburger. Hamburger does sound good, doesn't it? And take it back to the doctor, and the next day you can't even find a trace of it. That's thus saith William Branham. No, 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 no. That's thus saith the Lord. Watch now very carefully. Yet, he is an individual different from me. But the only way he is expressed is through me. Now, that's me and you, you and me also. That's sons and daughters of God. See, that's how Jesus and the Father was. Jesus said, it's not me that doeth the works. It's my Father that dwelleth in me. He's the one that's doing the works. On that basis now, here's where we come down to us today. On that basis... We must keep in mind, even as that age was, we have absolutely come and have a confrontation with God. When people walk away from the message or reject the messenger, they're actually rejecting God. This appearing in this hour of the same pillar of fire, following the same pattern, Showing up at the river at the baptism. On and on and on. We take hours showing you repeat after repeat after repeat after repeat. That is a direct confrontation of God to this last age. Not the body of the flesh. We're not talking about William Branham now. 
Or we're not talking about the person of Jesus or Brother Branham, either one, the flesh body. That person. But in the Alpha, where God indwelt the body, which was Jesus in the flesh. We're talking about God dwelling in a body of flesh. Not being the body of flesh, He indwelt that body. There was two persons in one body. If you can't see that, you'll never see it. Let me ask you, how many believes that the devil can basically take over a person and speak through the lips? I know that for a fact because I've heard it. Now, how can that spirit take over that person and talk through them and not be that person that it belongs to? Or you say, well, that's the spirit that I'm talking. That's what I'm talking about. Can God still do that same thing? Yes, do you believe the gifts of prophecy? You think the Spirit of God can come down and take over a person's lips, speak in an unknown language that we call speaking in tongues, someone else raise over here and give the interpretation, yea, I say unto you, day after tomorrow, this building is going to be blown away. That's thus saith the Lord. Now, did the prophecy produce the destruction? God only let people in on what he was going to do. Prophecy, if it's from God, is God only revealing you a secret so they can prepare for what's coming. But when God comes down in the person, we don't need a prophecy. When you have a ministry or God in the flesh, whatever he's telling you directly in the flesh, it's better than prophecy. Because he can say, thus saith the Lord, to prove that it was he speaking. Amen. So what we're looking at is this. In the Alpha, God indwelt a body called Jesus the man. In the Omega, he done the same exact thing. People want active faith. I preached active faith for the first 15 years that I was in the ministry. I preached legalism and law and active faith. It seems that active faith goes along with legalism. Active faith goes along with preaching. Let me ask you something. Have you ever noticed that some of you have never been in the old school? Wherever sermon you preached was basically 90% about women. If you'll notice, all your conduct sermons pertains to the women. But they never say much about the men. Because they don't understand, one part, they understand that conduct was the code given to women. But the greater, the passive faith, the revelation, was that doctrine was given to the man. Man is more responsible than the woman. For the woman won't have to answer. The husband must answer for the woman. Therefore, if you have improper conduct in your wife, then there needs to be something straightened out in your doctrine or your revelation. Not that you control willfully, but you teach. You teach it with patience. And if you have two believers together, they will both want to know the will of God, and it will work out in a proper relationship and in harmony with the Word of God. You can never take, active faith will never take the place of passive faith. Don't care how many miracles you could do, whatever. I know that you'd like to see me pull a rabbit out of a hat. But if I pull 10 rabbits out of the hat, it wouldn't do you a one ounce or as much good as this 30-minute doctrine on the lesson. Teaching of the Word is the depth of revelation. It's the greatest thing that God can give you is an understanding of Himself, the Word. Amen. Until we line up with the Word of God, according to doctrine, and we must confront everything that we have been confronted with. If God came down and confronted this age, and He did, I indict this generation for the second crucifixion of the Word. If we had a confrontation with God, 
and we have, then we're confronted with whatever he confronted us with or whatever that message was. As I said, he confronted us with a dress code for the women. He confronted us with a doctrine code for the men. So the prophet made the statement by that. He said, now watch. One day you will find out that you always were saved. How many has found that out yet? If you keep tracing it back and looking at it and looking at it and looking at it, one day you will realize that you always were a child of God. You cannot work your way into it. You can't beg your way into it. You can't study your way into it. It's a revelation. I come from God. He is my Father. Amen. My beginning was in Him. And He is my Heavenly Father. Watch. Be a good cheer. Brother Bram makes this statement. Now watch. I want to ask the audience, the sick sufferers everywhere. If Jesus was standing here tonight with this suit on, wearing this suit that He gave me, could He save you tonight? And the answer is no. He could not. Jesus could not save you tonight. He has already done that. Somebody praise, praise the Lord. You were saved when Jesus died at Calvary. You mean every person that ever was born from that period on was already saved? He was already saved when you showed up. That little girl that was born at 4 o'clock this morning, somewhere like that, they always got to be born after midnight. When I was in the service, I was on the OB ward. That means when they have babies. I always dreaded that 11 to 7 shift. I call it the midnight shift. All babies are born between 11 and 7. Very few was born in the daylight. I always liked the day shift because there was no birth. There was nothing blood. There's nothing set up. Doctors wasn't screaming at you or nothing else. You're just walking up and down the aisle playing checkers until they walked in. Boy, that was the good old days right there. How many babies have you ever seen born? Oh, I, I used to count it. It was close to 200 or so. But I sure didn't want to be in there when mine was delivered. You want to come in? No, I don't want to. And I wouldn't even want to go in when my grandchildren were delivered either. No, I got check it out on that right there. There isn't one work that you can do to justify yourself. But when you are justified and receive the Spirit of God, which is that revelation of your justification then true works will follow. You can't keep from it. Most preachers get them to the altar, then try to beat the code of conduct into them, which will never work. Like I said before, why wasn't as many sermons preached on doctrine for the men as sermons preached on conduct for the women. I can still hear those same ministers that I listened to 25 years ago. Preaching on this and that. All about the women. Women, 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 women. Every sermon about the women. And not one sermon on doctrine. There's something wrong with a ministry that cannot or will not preach doctrine. Now, they think I'm off base and gone basically to H-E-L-L -L because I don't preach on women every sermon. That's what I was told. Brother Gregory, you don't believe in holiness because you don't preach on women every service. I said, I preach on women every service. Well, I listened to you. You didn't preach on women. I said, every sermon I preach is on women. I teach doctrine to the man. Which is the Savior of the woman. So the more doctrine that I preach, the more assurance of your salvation you will have. Are you following now? Because husband and wife are one. 
We can't divide them up. One. That's the reason God is the head of Christ, the man. How can God be the head of Christ and Christ be God? He can't. Bible said God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. And man is the head of the woman. That's how it comes down. Okay. When you receive justification or you're truly justified and confronted with the codes, that revelation of your righteousness will meet the code. Therefore, I do not have to preach works like don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Just understand and pray for revelation and revelation will have the soul to grow in the knowledge of God and that soul will satisfy the law according to predestination. Amen. We know that God does not change his mind about his word. He does not change his mind about his plan, his program. So when we are seeing the omega of the alpha pertaining to the condition of this hour of the rapture, which is the complete body of Christ, we can know step by step what we can expect. So the formula that we have set forth, according to Revelation 1.8, Ecclesiastes 3.14 and 15, equals Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can understand by this that God has a master plan. Amen. Of which he cannot deviate from or change. And if there's an interruption, as the Garden of Eden, we find an interruption there, which according to God's own plan, he will always bring about his original purpose. All right. Let's look at just about five or ten more minutes. We've got a baptism. Romans 9-11. Let's look at that real quick here, just a few minutes. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It is all God. Amen. The purpose of God according to election might stand, we note, not of works. That's what God thinks about works. But of him that calleth, and that is the Spirit God, and this speaks of his master plan according to 1 Peter 1 and 2. Let's look at this. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Let's stop right there, would you? When I get into this, it'll take another 30, 45 minutes to look at the foreknowledge. But read your notes there very carefully. I worded that very carefully. Foreknowledge is the blueprint of what he knew previous of what he would do. I'll just read through it real quick. Watch. So what is predestination? It is a predestiny. It is already mapped out that you are going to arrive even before you start. Hallelujah. Foreknowledge is the blueprint. Omnipotence is the ability to bring the blueprint into existence, which we're speaking of the building or the body of Christ, is the predestinated or the predestination purpose of God. He is going to have a body. He's going to have a church. He will have a family, period. Praise God. So the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, Jesus himself, that we read in the verse, is called elect. Jesus was the elected one. Therefore, there must be something there as a basis for foreknowledge. Now, I'm basically going over a subject that we had a church split in down in the boot hill about 30 years ago. And that's predestination. You will not find one Armenian or Pentecostal legalists out of a thousand that will even look at the word predestination because they do not believe in predestination. They believe in works 
salvation by what you do and what you do not do. All right. So the elect, which was Jesus, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And Jesus himself had called the elect. Therefore, there must be something there as a basis for foreknowledge. Foreknowledge in itself is not something that is simply spoken as though it could be. There could be a prediction, as we said a while ago, but that is only God letting us in on a secret of what he is going to do. The foreknowledge by God did not produce seed. Follow it very closely now. The seed was there, and $4 was what God thought about it, and elected it to, and predestinated it to, for Jesus was that elected one. Now, who would not think, here you go now in pre-existence, who would not think that Jesus was not in God, and entirely pre-existent, in the sense of being in God before God had any thoughts about him? That's the same as you are pre-existent. Jesus was not eternal as God was eternal. Outside of being pre-existent in the mind of God as a thought. You are eternal or you have eternal life because you were a thought of God. The thinking of God did not produce God. God must have been there to think. Are you are even following me? So therefore, like an architect with a blueprint that will bring forth a structure of which there can be no change or variableness or change, the foreknown purpose of God of which he cannot deviate from. And we're looking at the body of Christ in our example. For what? I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. So we note that he tells us, I am the beginning. In other words, I am what is going on at the present time. Then I go through Romans to show you what was predestinated was the family, the material existence, the pyramid, the plan, mankind was all in the foreknowledge of God predestinated to come into materialization. You and your name was written on the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. And what we want to see is that predestinated plan of God now manifested in your flesh and my flesh. As we'll see this morning, according to the Word, Hopefully our brother, hearing the gospel, obeys by going to the water and is baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the name of Almighty God. And the Father and Son has the exact same name. Therefore, that name has a remission of sins. Only God can remit sins. And remit means to remove out of existence once and for all. Amen. Glory to God. Therefore, when God raised up that body that he used, that sinless blood was sufficient to cover for every man's sin. And faith in what God tells you is the truth is the point of salvation for you. And your confession leads you all the way to your predestinated destiny. Amen. You speak your way into eternity. Amen. And once you declare, I do not believe it, it's cut off according to your confession. Amen. So I went to 1 Corinthians and on and on, but what we'll, we'll build on that. But what we want to look at, and the point being, a little short-winded this morning, so we'll be all right. The first thing they'd done to the Apostle Paul, I'll get this and we'll stop. In the book of Galatians, which we're studying, the first thing they tried to do was disqualify the messenger. The false leaders come in after Paul's ministry and tried to prove that he was not vindicated. 
They did not believe his vindication. Therefore, he did not have the authority to teach doctrine and make it fix in the church. That's exactly what we're confronted with today. If you can disqualify William Branham's vindication, then we're free from his authority as the messenger of this hour, and we can do basically what we think we want to do and not have condemnation that we're out of the will of God. So we have a spirit in the land for the last few years after Brother Brown left. You can go on the internet. You can find everything that he was a liar, a devil, he was, anything that you can find. And it's all negative, 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 negative. Why? Because if they accept his vindication and his authority being the messenger of this hour, they are duty bound to be confronted with God and preach no other gospel than what he preached. Once I can disprove vindication, I am alpha under the authority of that ministry. Therefore, we stress vindication more than anything else. Because if William Branham was not vindicated by God, period, then he was not the messenger. He did not have the authority to set a dress code, nor a doctrine code. And his thus saith the Lord's was just a imagination or a fixture of whatever more. We're confronted with truth. Is God here? Has he appeared before us? Is he here now preparing a bride for the rapture? Is the revelation of the Apostle Paul that you have been justified and made righteous by Jesus Christ himself, and now God in the Omega has brought us the vindication of Paul's gospel that we are truly sons and daughters of Almighty God. Amen. Amen. That's what we're preaching. Well, can y'all want to come? We'll sing it. So, so forgive us. We're a little short-winded this morning for whatever reason. I don't know. It's just, it just uh, that way, I guess. Some mornings you do fine, and some mornings you don't do too good. But if you read, let me read this quote while they're coming. Here is the primary purpose of what we're studying in our lesson. Therefore, we know that Luther could not get to it. It cannot get to the full revelation. That's us. Wesleyan and so forth, the Reformers, Knox, Finney, Calvin, on down and so forth, they didn't get it all. But what they had was the gospel truth. That part made up the gospel truth. Every part stood alone. But now in the last days, we are given the understanding by the word that we are going to understand it. There's your third pull. Revelation is the highest form of spirituality that you can get. Because it'll come an Ephesian age to it. Watch what he's telling us now. By understanding it will bring us to an Ephesian age. And we're here. Now, paradox, I'll leave that hang because I just got about 10 minutes there and then we'll have the prayer line. Paradox. Watch now. Now, friends, I believe that he is the same yesterday and forever. I believe he's just as able this afternoon because in this building, a paradox because that he promised it, it could happen. And how much more has he promised? How much more is it leading in the Bible to this very age that we're living, the Ephesians again of the church ages? We've got to get back to the revelation of the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians and the book of Romans. The just shall live by faith and faith alone. He said, we got seven church ages, and we're promised that at the Laodicean church age, there would be another Ephesus. In the midst of this dark, naked, wicked age, there's going to come another Ephesus. That's right, and we're here. I believe it with all my heart that Jesus Christ, who made the promise that we are here, Alpha and Omega. 
He is here in the first age, and he is here now for a rapture. And we'll continue to look at it because I believe the justification, according to how Brother Brown preached, is the end product of the gospel. How can you come any farther than being made right before Almighty God and no sin laid to your charge? Blessed is the man to whom God does not impute sin. And only the elect would be the ones that he does not impute sin to. In other words, there had to be something way back, a covenant, a plan, a purpose of God, one thing or the other, that kept his elect absolutely sinless all the way through society to the end. As our sign said out there, simply sinless. You're sinless because there's no sin laid to your charge. When that revelation takes place, the men will have a thirst for doctrine and the women will have a thirst to meet the code of conduct to be right before Almighty God. No law to it at all. Can we stand this morning? Amen.